Welcome to the Covation Center podcast and the From Bars to Business series. This series focuses on the challenges of reentry for the justice involved and how businesses can benefit from hiring them and make a positive difference in their lives. This podcast is funded through a grant from the First Community Foundation Partnership of Pennsylvania. Teresa Kohler joins us again, this time to share what she has learned in her past life working in the justice system. Join us for Pathway to Transformation. Let's get talking. Hi, I'm Steve Brady, the Executive Director here at the Covation Center, and we're putting together yet another episode of uh, From Bars to Business. Uh, This episode uh, is going to talk a little bit about uh, what it's like to be behind bars, but this time from an outsider's perspective. Um, I'm asking Teresa, uh, Teresa Kohler, to join me again, but to talk about her life prior to where she was before in the last podcast we had. Teresa, welcome to back to our podcast as my friend <laughs> this time to talk about our past. Now, we have some things in common. Uh, we were both veterans. You, you were a Marine, if I remember correctly. Uh, yes, sir. You weren't fortunate enough to be in the Air Force, but not all of us can be there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so we have that in common, but you also have a post-Marine life working in the with the prison system. Could you just tell us your job title and what you did with, with the Pennsylvania prison system? Well, sure. Um, actually, I started in 1999 as a corrections officer um, at SCI Crescent. And then I went to SCI Muncie to become a counselor, then a treatment specialist, a DCC counselor. And then I went to Cole Township to become a unit manager. And then I took early retirement. So that go. is the story. But I can tell you, I did not grow up or leave the military thinking that I was going to be in the state prison system. I don't think anyone grows up thinking that, Steve. I, I don't know many people that would. Um, <laughs> Certainly, you know, but like I'm forgetting, I'm not going to make any jokes about any branches of the service. You never know who's going to be upset about what branch you talk about. But I, I think this is, is interesting for what we're talking about here. Now, while the, the intent of the podcast is to really educate business owners about the value of hiring justice involved, and, and you, we've talked about that previously, and we'll talk about it some more in another podcast down the road. I think it's useful for all of us to understand what the justice involved individual, what the former prisoner to be, you know, to put a label to it, what the former prisoner has gone through and, and you provide a, a unique perspective. We're going to talk to some justice involved individuals who've gone through that. We're going to hear their perspective, but I like the idea that you can tell us a little bit about what you've seen from your side of the wire, uh, from your side of the bars before My business. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty unique perspective to have an ex-staff member be able to talk about what it was like on the inside. Um, Could we start with maybe uh, a day in the life of a prisoner? What would what would that look like? Well, from a staff member monitoring those offenders that are inside the walls, um, day of the life starts early. Um, you start early in the morning to get up um, to get ready so that you can go to chow unless you're going to skip breakfast. Um, You go to the chow hall in groups, um, you end up coming back, and then your day typically starts. What a lot of people don't understand is that they don't just sit around idly. These prisoners are not sitting around idly. 
They have programming they must complete. Some have educational requirements they have to complete. And most of them work. So it really isn't, I want to say, a whole lot different than what our lives are. They are just confined inside the walls. So as... Um, a little bit it, like basic training, I bet. Uh, actually, you know, it is. So they do consider it to be like paramilitary to some degree. It's just not extreme like you and I have dealt with, Steve. But it, it's very similar. Um, very similar to kind of like what boot camp's like. Um, but... I think what's really interesting is that, you know, when I first started in the prison system, this was not the idea of what prison was to me. I thought they were locked down. I thought they were just all like angry and criminals and terrible people. And, you know, um, they were just pretending to do what they needed to do so that they could parole I just, I did not have a good concept of what jail actually was until I started working in the jail. And it was a shock. It, it was a shock to see that it's basically a community confined inside walls where people went to school, they got treatment programming help, um, and, the, you know, they had their own medical facility in which some worked there, you know, and they had jobs. So it, it was truly a shock, not what I expected. And, you know, even when I talked to my friends or family while I was still working in the prison system, you know, they were shocked because that's just not the picture of prison that you get. So you mentioned they go to school. Uh, speaking as a business owner, um, and if I'm looking, uh, looking to consider hiring someone who happens to, I call it, check that box, that they have to say that they have a criminal background. Um, what sort of school schooling opportunities are available? And, and so what sort of things would they be learning? Well, educational opportunities are there. Um, I will tell you, it's actually a requirement. Um, even if they have a high school diploma or a GED, but they read under an eighth grade reading level, they are still required to attend school to try to improve those reading levels. If they do not have a high school diploma or GED, they are required to be, you know, in programming. Um, they can choose not to, but I can tell you they won't be paroling out if they don't enroll. Um, that is how it works in there. Um, but outside of that, I mean, each prison basically has its own um, educational program. So we do have teachers, we had a guidance counselor, we have a principal. So there really is a school set up in each institution. Hmm. Um, so again, depending on what prison you're in, there could be business courses, um, there's college courses. Um, honestly, pretty much anything they want to study, there's kind of a way to be able to do that. Um, through that principal who can help develop something or, or get them on track to it. Um, so again, that actually just comes down to the different prisons and what actual programming they have for education. If they don't have it, again, the principal and guidance counselor will work with those vendors to try to figure out some kind of plan of action for them, um, whether it be you know, college course materials that they can get um, or classes that actually do come on site. So you'd be surprised what happens inside the walls, Steve. So if I were, if I were an employer and, and somebody comes to me and, and I look at their resume and I go, oh, you know, you check the box, but I'm, I want to talk to you. I, I understand that you have business, you, you have opportunities to take classes. Um, what, 
did you take any, or should I be asking questions like, did you take any classes and what classes did you take? And, and what did you, what did you get from that? Would those be legitimate questions to be asking? Uh, those would be very good questions. Um, in addition to what classes did you take, what jobs did you hold inside the prison? Um, because, for instance, when let's say someone wanted to learn about HVAC and they really wanted to be involved in that, we didn't have actual credentialing programs for you know certification in HVAC. And instead of taking classes through the educational program, because they you know they're not offered and may not be offered there they can actually work with a maintenance crew. So they get a job with a maintenance crew and understand that in order to be able to get these jobs in these real tech type areas, um, they have to be a good inmate. They can't be, you know, a, a really high level offender um, because of course they're working with power tools and, you know, um, doing all the maintenance on all the buildings and everything else. So they need to be trustworthy. So if, if they've gotten that position as HVAC, then the staff person who is head of that crew is actually going to be teaching them. So it is a ton of hands-on experience. And, you know, as I said in a previous podcast that you had, um, the staff aren't doing most of the work. The staff are teaching, guiding, instructing, and the offenders are doing the work. So they do get all that hands-on experience. So absolutely, an employer should ask what type of educational programs they went through while they were incarcerated and what kind of jobs they held and what job duties they had. Um, because typically, you know, um, the prison doesn't like, or I should say, you know, the state correctional facilities do not like um, someone in a position for a long period of time um, due to security issues and so forth. So, you know, they may have worked in HVAC, you know, two to three years, and then they moved to the paint crew or they moved to the mechanic shop or, you know, um, they moved to uh, the plumbing crew or <laughs> there's every job that we have on the outside for the most part is there on the inside of a prison. So, so what I'm, what I'm hearing is, uh, Let's say, I, let's say I have an HVAC company. Um, I may find somebody who has HVAC experience. The good thing on the other side of that is that individual may have experience and can go on a painting crew or can go on something else and can work for a couple different uh, types of businesses. So they're not necessarily pigeonholed based on what they were doing in the prison system. No, not necessarily. Now, um, and we are talking about the state system here, correct? Yes. And so that's going to be different from maybe what we'd find out from here, Allenwood at the federal prison or what we would be seeing coming out of the local county jails. Well, definitely different than the county. Um, but with the, the federal prison systems have a lot of programming and, and treatment and education as well. But county, when you're talking about, um, you know, shorter term stays, um, what you're looking at there is, yeah, there's there's treatment programming and so forth as well, but they're short-termers. So if they can work, you know, they're going out to the PRC, if they have to stay confined in the walls, some of them will have duties, you know, but they're going to be more geared towards like cleanup and janitorial and so forth, because again, they're short-termers. So they're not going to gain um, like work-wise and, and education-wise what they do in state and federal because they're in state and federal for a longer period of time. Really quickly, you mentioned PRC. What does PRC stand for? 
the pre-release center for like coming right. county and I, I bring that up um, when I say county because they kind of go hand in hand so you know um, typically counties have work release programs and like coming counties um, is called the pre-release center so it's not in the same building you have the jail and then many miles away you have the pre-release center um, not all jails are set up that way for county, you know, sometimes, uh, but ours is in like Cumming County. So sorry about that, Steve. No, no, no problem. I think it's a good for us to hear the initials and, and the acronym and then also to know what it means. Now, it does kind of uh, trigger another question. You mentioned work release. Sometimes mm-hmm. when I talk to other organizations that you know, we're here to help businesses and I mentioned hiring justice involved, the first thing I hear is, oh, we do work release. That's Mm -hmm. different, right? I mean, work release is not the same as hiring someone. (laughs) Well, so actually, if they are on work release in Lycoming County, that means, well, for county, then they're out at the PRC. So um, that means they're work eligible. If they're... um, if they don't have a job in the community, then, you know, they're working for the landfill or doing on maintenance crews and so forth um, for the prisons themselves. So people use terminology in different ways, but typically, you know, work release is actually that they're out at the pre-release center. Now, justice involved, obviously, when we're talking justice involved, we're talking every justice involved individual out there, not like Cumming County or the pre-release center. We're talking state and federal offenders right. as well. And there's a huge pull there um, with the numbers that are coming out, and especially in our area. We have a lot that are being released back into the community, you know, that desperately need jobs. And, you know, working, you and I both work with employers to try to um, utilize this resource and understand the benefits of that. And, you know, a big part of it, it's kind of, it's, it's easy for me to talk to employers about this because I did work on the inside. I know what the day in the life of an inmate is all about. And I like to kind of shut down that facade of what it is and, and let them know what it truly is so that they can see what the benefits are there. Really is a community, Steve, inside the walls, doing the same things that we do out here, except they're restricted on movement, kind of told what to do, when to do, and how to do it. I think our children feel that way too, but um, for a lengthy period of time. And then, you know, they're ready to come back out. And I can tell you that if they paroled out, then they jump through every hoop that the Department of Corrections and Parole put before them. It, it, it's, it's not easy to parole out. I mean, it, it's tough on the inside with who you're dealing with all the time, who has an issue with you, you know, um, did I do everything I needed to do? Can I get to everywhere I'm supposed to get to? Um, am I going to get into my treatment groups in time to be able to get parole the first time I'm up for parole? You know, um, it's tough. And then you add in the fact of being away from their friends and family. So, you know, I respect on the inside as a staff member that, you know, they put the time and effort in, they've gained skills while they're there, they've changed behavior and and they're able to parole out. They earned my respect. And trust me, they weren't getting out of jail, you know, unless their unit manager, counselor, deputies and superintendent were saying yes to it. 
It's a very serious vote that each of those staff members takes on each individual that's up for parole. So yeah. they have their own process because one thing I certainly don't want happening is my name being signed to something saying yes for parole and they're not ready for parole and, and something happens. So we take their jobs very seriously on the inside. We, we've watched, I, I suspect we as a society have watched way too many shows with criminals that are in prison that get out, you know, the evil mastermind who manipulates <laughs> the whole system to get paroles that they can go be an evil mastermind on the outside again. What I'm hearing you tell me is, no, no, no. Most, most of these people, the vast majority, like 99.9% .9 of these people uh, who are going through this process and getting parole are not evil masterminds. They're, th that's a really small percentage, right? <laughs> I would say that it is. Uh, it, it, it's not, like I said, it's really not easy to get parole. And, you know, you have a lot of staff who regularly, I, the best way to see how an offender is doing, honestly, is to work the housing units all the time or to be their work boss all the time. And they have the best feel for how that person is because, I mean, any one of us can go out and, you know, show a really great side to us, but can we do it all the time? And can we do it all the time under the pressure that they are under on the inside, you know, with trying to get everything done that they need to get done on top of the type of individuals that they may be housed with? Um, it's not an easy, again, it's not easy on the inside and, and it's not easy to stay out of trouble, you know, depending on who doesn't like who. So, you know, yeah, you get the typical, there are gang members in there. You know, um, there are some horrendous crimes that were committed by people that are in there. There's no doubt about it, which makes it especially impressive when someone is able to parole out, especially paroling out, you know, the first time that they're up for parole, because it is a tough environment. And yet they're doing everything that they need to be doing and and they've made it through. So it's kind of hard to fake that, Steve, mm. especially when you have eyes and ears on you all the time. Awesome. I appreciate that. So as we wrap up, what I'm, what I'm hearing you share with us is that uh, when, when someone comes out, especially in parole, they're hardworking, they've taken classes, uh, they've had jobs, they've pretty much kept... Uh, kept their record clean on the inside so that they are able to demonstrate responsibility so we can look to them and help them demonstrate responsibility on the outside. And so these would be, am I safe to say, these would be indicators of, of likelihood of success. I mean, we're not going to guarantee success, but the likelihood of success when you've gone through these sorts of things. So these are the types of things we should be asking about in a hiring interview. Yes, absolutely. And they are the strongest indicators. And let me just say this, that I, if I owned my own business at this point in time, you know, um, I would definitely be hiring individuals coming out of the system mm -hmm. because they need that chance. They, they also need to know that you understand um, kind of what they've been through and they are going to have that loyalty in addition to all, of course, you know, the money that you can get returned or the programming um, that we have to, you know, to help employers out. Um, but I would most definitely, I would never, ever say you check the box. I'm not giving you an interview. Absolutely not. Um, they would have a really good shot in my business if I had one. I appreciate that. And, and this is the purpose of this series is really to kind of help people understand that checking that box uh, just means ask a couple more questions. Uh, I, 
I can't say that I'm necessarily in favor of ban the box. I think this is just a piece of information that helps you ask better questions to get to know someone who's applying for the, for your workforce. I Heaven knows I've made bad hiring decisions and they weren't people that were just as involved. So, uh, you know, this gives us a chance to make some better hiring decisions. Teresa, thank you so much for joining us again today. I look forward, I think we've got maybe one or two more podcasts that we're gonna be meeting and talking about in the, in the near future. So thank you again. Great, thank you, I look forward to it. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Hopefully you found it informative and please listen to the remaining parts of this multi-part series as we explore the ways businesses can be successful in hiring and providing support for justice-involved individuals. We encourage you to check out the other resources the Covation Center has for small business owners. Visit our website at covationcenter.org and be sure to watch our video series on YouTube. Just search for Covation Center. We provide various videos designed to help you start and grow your small business. Until next time, have a great day.